0: Hello. Welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hi, Susan.
1: Hello, Guthrie.
0: And we also have a wonderful guest today. Susan, are you are you doing
1: introductions today? Sure. Yeah, we have a guest today. We have Steve Field is with us. He's an independent consultant in uh, digital transformation. So we'll have to talk about that. Uh, and he has his own company called The Field Group. So welcome, Steve. Thank
2: you. Nice to be here.
1: So Steve. we met Steve Guthrie, if you recall. You and mm-hmm. I met Steve um, not too long ago. We were speaking at uh, in St. Louis at the, I think it's officially the, what, the STLX? Yes. St. Louis, uh, uh, St. Louis Design. St. Louis Design Conference. And... Um, we were talking, uh, our talk there was on the future of human technology interaction. And so we were doing our, Our this is a talk we do where we uh, talk about all the weird and, and some could say scary or pessimistic things about the future of AI and robots and all that stuff. And uh, Steve came up and talked to us after the talk. And then we got off on this conversation about optimism versus pessimism about the future and AI and transformation and all this stuff. But you know, then we didn't have enough time to have the whole conversation. And so I said to him, "Let's have you on the podcast, and we can keep talking." So that's how <laughs> we ended up here. So um, yeah, so you know, we were just, and I think Guthrie, our last episode, we had. Guest, on and we were talking about AI as well, so we seem to be kind of in a in a f- futuristic mode.
0: It's very hot and right I, now.
1: Yeah, and I know. I mean, I think it's an interesting conversation about, uh, and maybe we can start here, about whether to be optimistic or pessimistic. You know, to whether to and and I I kind of Guthrie. I think you're a little more optimistic. I I kind of like flip. Flop from optimism and pessimism depending on the day uh, probably because um, you know I I'm a I'm a student of human behavior and to me if we talk about you know the future of technology we're really just talking about oh maybe this is debatable we're, I think we're talking about... What happens when we take all of our human stuff which is sometimes pessimistic and sometimes optimistic and and just project that onto our tools and technology so you know sometimes as humans I think we do a good job at thinking ahead and doing what's best for the our species and the other species and that we share the planet with and sometimes i think we because we're human we do a bad job at that you know i mean because we're human and so whether i'm optimistic or pessimistic just depends on how optimistic or pessimistic i am about humans that day i think steve you're more you're a little more optimistic you tend towards the optimistic side don't you
2: i i do and um I think you know one of the things we were talking about at the conference is you and I have both seen a couple of revolutions in technology and this pep- pessimism optimism.
1: It, is That's that your what's way of say- before. Is that your way of saying we're we're not 23 years old?
2: Uh we didn't just graduate. Yes.
1: <laughs>
2: so we, we we have some experience and and so there's a little bit of uh this has happened before it'll happen again aspect to yeah. the cycle but I think more to it um, you know AI is looking a little bit like a fourth wave depending on how many ways one wants to talk before of you know really tra- changing how technology integrates into the tools we we use or what that technology does and how it works so kind of the backdrop um, before the design conference had also been to a uh, a good event on uh, social media marketing, and but the person was very focused on how that advertising technology can be used for um, influencing people in negative directions. And well that, while that's true, it, it's one where it's only true because, in a sense, we're letting it be true. You know, we're letting that technology be applied. Things like using. Uh, you know, ultrasonic sound from one device to detect what other devices might be nearby uh, to help identify clustering. Um, You know, they're they're pretty much edge cases, even though they're important. Um, But ultimately, that's the purpose of design, I think, is to solve those types of problems. I think that's kind of how we got to the point of, you know, there's always things that are hard could be misapplied, and we have to, with design, really uh, solve for those problems. Uh, so ultimately, I think with AI, the next interesting way will be uh, not so much a technology discussion about AI, good or bad, but really uh, design that's good or bad, um, and that many of the failures, many, many of the angst of things not working the right way might be more a result of bad design with AI than anything to do with the
1: technology itself. So you're kind of saying that that no matter what the technology is w- or the tool is, we've always faced a challenge of is it being designed and, and implemented and used in ways that are useful and helpful or in ways that are not useful or even not not good for people I mean that that exactly. AI is AI is no different than mobile phones is no different than computers is no different than uh, automobiles I mean it's a it's a design question not a not that as the technology gets more sophisticated it does not necessarily get more nefarious
2: not by itself, for sure. And, uh, and, and though it sometimes can seem nefarious because of unintended consequences, um, I was watching an old episode of Breaking Bad and was struck by the, uh, the Pontiac Aztec that he drives. You know, that was a mm. an example of a bad-designed car that just was disappointing. It didn't, it didn't do what people want from cars. Compared to, you know, back in the, you know, sixty you read about some of the cars. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on which model. That if you turn too hard, it would flip over. Now, that's not just disappointing. That's you know, deadly um, through bad design. Um, but the so, Aztec did look weird. Well, it, it, it oh, <laughs> is that
1: it, a good
0: it, thing, it, Guthrie? <laughs> I had um, I had one of my one of my good friends growing up. Their family had a had the purple pontiac aztec and it was sort of like um it, they were they were onto to something because there was that desire to have like we want an suv but it's all like a small suv and now all suvs are basically aztecs but that there but it, it did not work but they they were on to something i'm not really sure what it was though
2: yeah it, it was probably uh designed by committee and uh ran out of time and that was that was it, um, but it, so cars are very much um, engineered products. You know, design thinking has always gotten better and better, and you see that with a lot of designs. But it's um, so AI is creeping in because it's um, it, in some ways it's smarter than we what people might generally realize, but in very limited domains. Yeah, so there's there's no decent prospect of a general purpose AI on the horizon for for a long time. You know, there there's bodies of math that would have to still be invented that, you know, no one even knows how to solve for that to really happen. Um but within more limited functionality it can become extremely smart. It's so like the the games that play Go can't play chess. Um So, so, but there's a lot of capabilities there that we'll see embedded in products more and more and more. So the whole human interaction now with a a smart machine, kind of the internet of things taking on intelligent devices, I think is going to be a new um, opportunity for design thinking to really get into how how do people want to work with machines? And there won't be a one size fits all. It could be cultural differences and just style differences and people um, like in watching the Star Wars movies, the robots are funny. But we don't really see that many funny robots around yet. <laughs> and how come?
1: Are we going um, to?
2: Well, I, I think if they could bring some humor to them, they, they would potentially be more useful. You know, some kids' toys have been close to that, but they're really just a toy. Um, I saw an interesting video of this it's meant to be funny, but a gargoyle display at the uh, at Denver International Airport, DIA. And it's got machine intelligence combined with, um, you know, visual recognition, so they can actually scan the crowd, who's looking at it, recognize things that people might be carrying or wearing, and cracking jokes about it. And it's, it's hilarious. Um, and then the animation is very... Uh, effective as well. Um, but it was doing things like recognizing somebody was wearing a big hat or pushing a cart or, you know, it was a small child versus a, an adult and uh, adapting the humor to it.
0: Well, can we, can, let's, t- I mean, Star Wars robot humor. Uh, yeah. Very, very sarcastic. A lot of dry... Rolling of the robot eyes, sarcasm, going on.
2: Well, I, I, yes, in in many ways they I know better than you know. We're human. so
0: dumb. Yeah, I enjoy that.
2: Well, and and not being necessarily patient, but trying to be polite, covered up, and and that becomes the you're right, the dry, witty, sarcastic humor, um, kind of as a foil to. So. Uh, lighten the mood. So, you know, if people are using tools, um, we can look at scenarios, say healthcare, where getting people to take the medication or walk around the house to move every day, getting people to do things we don't want to do is a big challenge. And just having a robot or a AI application that's smart and can understand the data is only half of making that change. But will they start to be able to be AI coaches that interact in a still in a limited fashion, but in a way that someone might actually pay attention to or enjoy the interaction a little bit? You know, and then does that mean someone might want the drill sergeant style coach or the, you know, the whining coach or they get to change it up because they like hearing how different versions might be funny? and you know, the way we can switch accents on GPSs. So that's just really top-of-head thinking, but the idea of products and services that we use now having intelligence in them, I think means that the designing is going to go beyond just uh, device ergonomics to now potentially lack a better name, um, mental ergonomics.
1: It's kind of like personality ergonomics. It,
2: yes, it's something like that, where it's really thinking of um, the whole experience, um, visual, audio, uh, but it's intelligence. So how, does that, how do I make that interaction not just uh, kind of do the task, but have some personality to it? The natural language processing is really, a, 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 from everything I'm reading, you know, at a breakthrough point, you know, it, it's it's very difficult to do it, but we're seeing some early examples that work really, really well, particularly with things like chatbots. Um, so development from here on isn't necessarily requiring massive breakthroughs. It's really just acceleration of what um, has already been proven
1: out what what are you seeing steve when you know when you talk to your clients about and i know that there's uh, you know you can you you probably are under all the same kind of ndas we're under and so there's a limited amount you can talk about about particular work you're doing with clients but just in general do, are you finding that people companies are you know, where, what level of maturity are are your clients at? Are they, like, just exploring what this might mean for them? Do they have specific goals for where they want to go with new technology? Um, are they thinking about things like, you know, AI with personality? Or are they kind of just like, can we, what might we use AI for?
2: Yeah, I, I think there's probably all of the above happening in different types of organizations. So um, a couple examples that I'm thinking of generically where um, the operational part of the company, everything is really about what can we change quickly? You know, we, we wanna make improvements if there's a big bet it's not gonna necessarily be an AI solution. It'll be an incremental improvement. And if a vendor says it's because we can start to apply AI, the operational perspective is great, I don't care. Yeah,
1: they don't, we don't care it, what how you're doing it, it, if it can help us quickly do it.
2: Right, so I'd say in a sense, chatbot's being um, introduced very widely and it's capable, and I've seen executives talk about it because they get to brag about a shiny object, but it also is a, very, a relatively safe bet at this point of starting to um, sure that there's machine learning tied into it so that the more things people work about, it's identifying the common requests and, you know, and growing the um, ability for the, the bot to handle more and more of the support. So it, that's moved from R&D into uh, deployment. And not so easy deployment, but, you know, it's, it'll become widespread deployment, uh, help desks, things like that. Um, products. Now, when it comes to products, I think vendor companies are very much all over how to apply AI and drive those breakthroughs. So that's where a lot of R&D is coming from, whether it's, um, you know, here in the Midwest where, Uh, Ag tech is a big deal and work to identify how can drones, which by themselves have intelligence, but fly over and use pictures of um, crops to forecast uh, what kind of problem is there, Um, disease, insects, and being able to diagnose good from um, impaired uh, crops, from photographs. So that that visual recognition is extremely difficult. Um, And with all the talk about driving cars, it's seeming like it's making breakthroughs, but it's still extremely extremely difficult because they don't have any um, context for what they're looking at. They're just identifying patterns. So sunny day versus cloudy day, even that can make a difference in how things look. So so I think the R&D is there. And then at a corporate view back to the operators, I, definitely the ones that think they're in industries that have a lot of risk of change, uh, the buzzword used to be being Ubered, you know, definitely have innovation teams to uh, since do practical R&D pilots to see what, what's realistic, what's not. Um, and, and much of that is sorting out vendor BS from what, what could be reality. Um, There's been some pretty good application of AI and things like um, fall prediction, you know, so uh, monitors of patients and seeing how they move, is that an indication of someone trying to get out of bed by themselves that shouldn't, you know, that could prompt um, intervention to prevent a a risk of of an injury from a fall. So the narrower the application, the more um, applicability there seems to be. But it's all, I I think, really, in some ways, it's a fourth wave of not necessarily yet widespread in many of the systems and technology interactions. But I think it could be over the next five plus years, something that becomes ubiquitous in some way or another in many interactions we have.
1: You were talking before about you mentioned about design thinking. Mm -hmm. So. And, and you know I teach design thinking um, and we have many clients who are well several clients who use design thinking. Do you think that um, the design thinking process has changed or needs to change uh, it when when you start applying it to um, some of these you know some of the newer technologies and Thought, thoughts about AI and robots, or do you think that, you know, is the process robust enough that it that absolutely does not matter what technology you're designing, or should we make some modifications in the way we do design thinking?
2: I think, the, I think the process for design thinking is robust enough that at a process level, it might not change, but the participation and expertise might be starting to shift. Um, I mean, just the mathematicians, but I'm thinking more of the, uh, the behavioral scientists, um, because the, uh, how a person interacts with a smarter device is going to end up, I think being different than a dumb device. Um, and, and there'll be a need to understand good versus bad flavors of that or effective versus ineffective. Um, you know, so as much as there's smartphones, there's always talk about people that don't get them. And we can kind of laugh and joke about that. But if the number was big enough, you know, it would have been a a threat to the whole concept. Um, so if people joke about not being able to use the TV controller, you know, and now there's a, a, a smarter security system, is that really going to address enough customers, or, or not? So it's as much a commercial issue of the viability of these new products. Did they really get how the customers feel about, feel about it? Um, one of my favorite books is Sense Making by Christian Mossberg with uh, Red Associates. But he he goes through um, about that deeper level of thinking, kind of thick insights into. Um, personalities and people's experiences. Uh, so those are the kind of inputs that I think will become critical as people have machines being part of their job, and supporting work or part of a product that a customer buys. And it's an opportunity to create new experiences too, uh, like shopping assistance in a grocery store. You know, it's not just making the lists, but it's kind it of help identify ideas and make the shopping simpler.
1: So what does, how is he, what does what the term sense-making mean?
2: Uh, the way he uses it is in understanding kind of the, the, the emotional, cultural, historical, um, and so on drivers of why, like what are people really experiencing when they use a service? Um, And he's got some examples from their clients, like with Lincoln um, five, six years ago, trying to really get into what did people think made the uh, luxury car experience what it was. And the traditional thinking from Detroit and even other car manufacturers still had an engineering type thinking about it features and everyone wants to drive fast and so on, and versus getting into, and they did it in multiple continents. So it wasn't the same everywhere. That, um, that wasn't really what customers were thinking about, how they used their car and what luxury meant while they were using it, if they were using it. Um, and that when you're stuck in traffic jams, it didn't matter how fast it was. And you know, it was as much a prestige item to impress clients that you drive around. To an oasis for going on on long drives as a retreat and, and just many different types of um, um, genuine experiences that had nothing to do with what you know car executives thought people were buying luxury cars for
1: so in your, in your experience do you think that that um, teams under that i don't even know you know well i'll just use the term sense making do you think teams understand sense making or do you think this disconnect between you know the the because i could see how you could do research right on on who you thought your target audience was and you could ask them right so you think you're doing research and you're asking them you know what makes you think of luxury right In a luxury car. Mm -hmm. And if you ask questions like that, I think you're likely to get people to give you answers like, oh, well, it's very comfortable, and it's very quiet, and it's, uh, you know, it's a prestigious car. Right? They'll give you, they'll kind of feed back to you the things you're thinking. (laughs) Um, Because that's not a real, you know, depending on how you ask a question like that, that's not a very deep question, and you're likely to get Kind of surface answers. Um, so, uh, how do you get a team to to break away from you know the normal questioning and acceptance of normal answers, and and dig deeper into the insights? Um,
2: I, I think I mean you hit a very important point because um, many times what I've seen is the the product teams. Think they're doing research, and that research can be very self-confirming. So it's uh, the the subtitle of the sense-making book I thought was pretty interesting. It's called "The The Power of the Humanities in the Age of the Algorithm," because it's it's really a a, a call to take a step back, particularly when it really, really matters, to ensure that the kind of like the, the heart of the customer is well understood and and their motivations, and then designed towards that, so you know it's not going to be um, economic to do that type of research for every single example, and nor are the risks necessarily there um, but on on certainly, I think on bet the company type innovations or startups that really want to um, might sense a way to break away from the pack you know if they can start in a different place they'll come up with a different different product
0: i've always thought there was um it was sort of like if you if you draw like a circle right and if you keep like if you keep going you eventually get to the other side which and this is very abstract i'm i'm going somewhere i promise so <laughs>
1: All right, we'll be patient. Uh-huh, yeah, thanks. That so that's
0: interesting. <laughs> so, when you have, um, so, you know, we're, we're starting at the same place, which you could say the bottom of the circle. And then there's like these two divergent paths. And the path of the on the left is uh, the mercy of the algorithm, which is we're just, we're being as efficient as possible through what our algorithms tell us to do. And the path on the right is... You know, we're um, we're like you said. It's like the humanities path. We're, we're listening to the soul of the customer, um, and so at 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 some point, as you sort of go more and more all in on each direction, you get further and further away. But then, if you do such a good job, you like it's They start to almost converge on the other end, and you end up getting good. Res- like that. Like you can get really good results if you if you go both ways, but you just have to go like super far to get there. And that's sort of maybe the, um, you know, the, I, I mean, what, is Apple like the quintessential humanities com- design company? Is, is that
2: fair? Is that not fair? I don't know. Well, it, it could be because there, there is a, um, I guess, the kind of two thoughts of this that converge. One is, the heart of the humanities is, is um, understanding the why. Like, why did the customers behave, behave the way they did? You know, a lot of research is, how did they behave? And from that, what do they want? Yeah. Without knowing the why, that those conclusions about the customers could be missing the mark completely, we're just following the trend. You know, I think there's companies like an Apple with their products, and I can even say this about things like Uber that have changed in the industry that were, they were able to change the why. You know, they could did something that introduced a completely new behavior that wasn't done before because it wasn't possible. You know, like the, um, even the iPod changed so much about how um, Music and and we had the portable cassette players and all that before, but music wasn't was still uh, um, purchased traditionally. Um, people could made their own tapes all the time, uh, but you still had to carry around a pile of tapes. And so, what the iPod changed was also the whole method of purchasing music with the digital store. And it wasn't the necessarily the best MP3 player at the time, but it was a whole concept of an ecosystem that changed music acquisition, that a device that was beautiful, um, and uh, tugged at the other um, emotions around it.
1: Yeah, see, I, I and this is, I, I find myself lately in it with a dilemma because um, you know I, I've been working in the field of design and yeah. and user experience and you know human factors for a long time and so i' I'm always an always an advocate of you know uh, the user point of view, talking to the target audience, and so on and on the other hand, it's you know it's also very clear that if you talk to people about what they want or what they like or what's important to them. um, There's all kinds of problems with that. Like they don't, they don't really know Uh, what they're saying is not, you know, how they, what they believe and how they feel is largely unconscious. So they're unable to really explain it to you. Uh, And, and this problem of, you know, not, um, not you know people aren't particularly good at imagining a new way or a different way of doing things and so it you know you there's this there's this question of how much do you take what people say at face value you know if you don't if you take the information but use that to to be creative and design a solution that the people you talked to didn't even know they wanted you know are you on the right path with that or are you now just lost in your own you know design delirium and and you're not designing what people want or need you're designing what you think is a good idea I mean it just seems like um, there's so many uh, products and technologies that are out there that if you had asked people you know hey what about this they may have said, nah, you know, why, why would I want to get in a car with a total stranger who isn't licensed, <laughs> you know, what? to do, to do this? Exactly. I'm just going to take a taxi. You know, why, why would I want to have to, you know, use a special program? I just, I'll just go out on the street and raise my arm. You know, I mean, it's like, I think uh, it's, Sometimes I wonder if some of our best innovations are because people have been ignoring what the, what the people say they want. And it could be
2: because um, people, I think, do things for a long time out of habit or it becomes part of their life and they don't necessarily can articulate why. And I'll, I'll make up an example. I don't know if this one's completely true, but... Um, people used to, you you can see it in the movies, the old-fashioned movies, read a paper for breakfast, uh, a newspaper. And did they really do it because they craved up the Minton news, or did they do it because it um, gave them 15 minutes of separation from the world where they had a, a don't bother me type aura around opening the paper and...
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm having my coffee and uh, this is... I can block out everyone in the room and
2: just yeah, have, have my coffee. the personal space
1: moment. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah, so that gets to the, the, the why's. So I think some of the interesting research takes a um, combination of anthropologists and behavioral scientists, because it's almost asking my question of why again, of people may not even know their why. They just they just do it because it's an integration of all sorts of um, historical, cultural, and uh, habits that are leading them them to that moment.
1: Yeah, I, you're right. But then, if that's true, how do you? So, do, so that would argue for not. I mean, obviously, you can look at what the current habit is, but you then have to recognize that what you might be doing is creating a new habit instead of designing for the old habit.
2: It could be um, without understanding that if you thought you, someone thought they knew what were the essence of why the people were behaving that way. We use Uber. They did come up with a good at a good approach to, and a lot of people didn't take it in the beginning because it didn't seem safe you know, all, the, all the, the question marks, but it was fast, proved to be a lot more reliable than people thought. Um, I think I have only come close to dying in a car once, <laughs> a horrible, horrible driver. So you, you kind of, the, the thousand other rides were good. So you start to um, weigh that against, you know, similarly bad taxi drives. And, you know, it, it, it met the criteria even though it seemed in the beginning that it was such a big change. So I I think that's potentially one of the tricks is knowing what are the underlying, like the genuine needs and coming up with a different solution to meet them. And and again, I think it's expensive research. So many um, internal work needs within companies because lots of automation is coming to to teams. That'll happen with more common sense, but when something's really a uh, bet the ranch type decision, um, I think knowing the real soul of the customer, I think he used that word Guthrie, that becomes critical. And as we move into intelligence, where it's not just a product anymore, it's now there's a, a smart machine that's going to interact and do more, which is kind of how we got started. I think. I think that's where there's going to be a lot of uh, successful and unsuccessful designs based on understanding how uh, real people are going to interact best with, with machines that are not necessarily doing the whole thing for them, but they're part of
1: it. Hmm. So, you're, so, Guthrie, I think we can put Steve on the optimistic end of the spectrum, can't we?
0: Yeah, Steve, uh, on, a, on a 1 to
1: 10 scale, <laughs>
0: <laughs> where 1 is a Skynet dystopia. And you mean
1: 1 is pessimistic? Is that what you're saying? Oh, yes, yes. Sorry. Okay, and 10 is and optimistic?
0: 10 is heaven on Earth, where the uh, the AI caters to our every desire. Um. Well,
1: wait a minute, wait a minute. One could be pessimistic about AI catering to our every desire. So, what's the I don't question? even.
0: I don't even know what that means.
1: What? You yeah. don't know what what means. Being pessimistic well, I think about.
2: pessimism would be: uh, is it going to kill jobs? Is it going to uh, take over skilled work? Is it going to uh, create products that mean that people are? Uh, you know lazy or they completely yeah so
1: all thing. I'm going to do is sit in my chair and hook myself up to whatever because it's catering to my every need and mm. I don't need I don't need other people I don't need you're even the
0: pessimistic about about uh, yeah that's what I'm saying about...
1: that scale you gave you could be pessimistic <sighs> about AI catering to my every need Man, so I'm are, asking you to clarify you're, a, what is,
0: you're tough <laughs> You're tough. i I'm,
1: I'm a. So I'm asking you to clarify what is the scale that you've asked Steve to rate himself on.
0: Fine. One is pessimistic. Ten is optimistic. I give no clarification or. Okay. Uh, uh, All right. Uh, All right. Definition. So
1: Steve, one is pessimistic about new technolo- the future of new technologies, and and ten is optimistic. So where where do you rate yourself today?
2: I think a a very strong eight, and the the reason it's not a ten is to think um, it it really isn't realistic to be perfect with the uh, realization of new technologies. Um, You know, as great as the car was, uh, how long did the train stick around, Uh, or you know, plane travel? So everything's moving a lot faster. Those were 30 year changes. But um, so I, I think if 10 is our lives are just immensely better with AI, you know, I, I don't think it'll live up to that kind of hype.
1: But it's pretty high. Guthrie, where are you at today? Where would you put yourself on that scale?
0: Uh, I probably at a f- 5.72. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just estimating. Just
0: yeah, that's a that's a rough rough, rough estimate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The only and the only reason I'm optimistic, I I uh, I have all the excuses to be pessimistic. I'm only optimistic because uh, of the track record of this sort of insane disruption happening previously. And what do you mean? We've had lots of crazy, um, you know. Uh, huge, you know, culture-shattering disruption, technology changes, and we've managed to adapt to those. So the track record is pretty good. That we'll be able to adapt to, you know, the the next one on the corner. So that's that's why. I, I mean, otherwise I'd be a lot more pessimistic. I don't have any. Uh, I guess I'll I guess I'll say I don't have reason to be optimistic other than our the the, the track record.
1: Five point seven two is not that optimistic. Yeah,
0: but it's it's on the you know it's more optimistic than not optimistic.
1: That's true.
2: Where where yeah. are you at? Te- you know, technically, it's more optimistic than the last, but barely. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's basically, that's that's a we'll muddle through. There'll yeah. be a lot of
0: uh, well, I'm an economist, th- failures, so yeah, mud- humans oh. muddling through things is sort of.
1: That's your My that's your mental model, yeah, right.
0: Mhm.
1: But well, okay, yeah. So you'd think after Steve talked to us all this time about why he's optimistic, we should have asked this survey question at the beginning to see if he moved the needle. Um, and and yeah, I. Where am I on it? I don't know. Negative forty-five. I Huh?
0: You're 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 uh you're you're at the uh, building a bunker in the backyard
1: <laughs>
0: uh, level of optimism.
1: Uh, I wonder how much. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm definitely not not as high as you guys, but I wonder how much. Um, you know if you, how much people's rating on this scale. Is just a measure of general optimism and pessimism about life or about the future. You know, uh, I wonder if it really doesn't have anything to do with AI in particular or even technology in particular. It Just has to do with, you know, whether you're an optimistic or pessimistic person. that, well, that I do think be-
2: um, th- th- there probably is an elephant in the room on general technology, and that's privacy of information, which is isn't really an AI issue, but it's. I am mean, reading about it in the press this morning, this big uh, medical record study with Google and um, another company. So um, I, I do think that there's gonna have to be a, um, a caveat that unless, unless privacy is at rest and, and people have much more data privacy than today, um, you know, technology will be viewed as, as negative for a while. Or risk being negative for
0: a while. Or and e- and even more important than privacy is trust, because even if the mm-hmm. tech companies do come to their senses and it, like, I know a lot of people, okay, and Apple says that they do all of their processing locally on the phone, and you can tell that to a lot of people, and they go, uh huh, sure.
1: Oh, you mean it? Does so? It doesn't even matter if it's true. People don't trust that it's true.
0: Right. It like and
1: that's that's what's affecting their behavior is what is their belief not the reality
0: uh, yeah so I mean yeah so it, it would go a long way towards towards um, having the private privacy goes a long way towards people thinking that pr- there's privacy but it's so like the cat is so far out of the bag now that well that yeah you know that's a really more-
1: it's an interesting point because you know, how how you feel about privacy and how important you think that is um, depends a lot on what culture you live in. I mean, I think, uh, you know, in – I mean, certainly in some places, like perhaps China, you know, do they – I don't know how they – you know, do they trust all the stuff their government is doing that – around privacy that I think – you know if if, here in the us if we thought our our government was doing that or if we knew our government was doing that you know would we be more or less okay than than what's going on over there and what about in europe you know i think there's not um i don't think there's a universal set point of how, how either how much you trust whoever governments or tech companies or, or even which issues you think are problematic?
2: I, I'd agree with that because uh, the two examples I've heard that highlight it. One is for sure China, where they're using technology tools to monitor people and and people are getting hurt, you know not just harassed but hurt, policed, arrested. Um, so there it, it's a, a government. Uh, control and, and using these tools nefariously. Uh, and if the Chinese come after me, I'll be really embarrassed for saying that. But that's certainly the image that is given. Um, yeah. And then a place like India where in discussions with, you know, friendly discussions with people about healthcare and the billions of people they have, you know, and their belief that they'll have much, much more effective healthcare than ours and a few years, because they have so many unserved people, so remotely you know limited infrastructure that they'll be pushing into telemedicine and and tools um AI assistance all sorts of things because for so much of the country, that's a big improvement so uh, it's, it's so they don't worry about privacy compared to results, not getting any care, right. So yeah. it's very contextual of of how it's being used and what type of information it is. Well, it's very yeah.
0: interesting because a lot of people who not all, not all, but there are a lot of people who definitely complain in the United States about tech privacy, and that's that's a big issue for them, as it you know probably should be. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, do you want to be able to talk to your phone and it under like and it being able to like process the sound waves into text so they can do something with because like if you know all the neural networks like you just need a billion data points so either I mean there are probably lines you can walk walk where you can anonymize your data but if you want better results these companies need to be tracking all of your data and mining it and then using it to come up with better algorithms
2: well and when it's to do something useful I'll leave that undefined for the moment Many people say, "Sure, that's good." And when it's used to um, pitch products, market, um, uh, reprioritize which articles and ads one gets to try to nurture people, most people say, well, "You know, that's that's over the top." Um, I don't, I don't want that type of of profiling. Um, so that's where it's getting. My optimism is based on a solving the privacy conundrum to a large extent because that is that's the one Mm. area that that all of the positives could be wiped out if, um, you know, privacy gets abused.
0: Oh well then I, if, 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 if you think it's privacy, I am very pessimistic about privacy to be honest because maybe in the United States the boat is starting to turn around, but I mean, if you look at TikTok is sort of a good example. You know, it's become a very popular app in the United States, especially <laughs> with younger people, but it's basically owned by Tencent. And Tencent is like, we're going to do whatever we want. And uh the people don't seem not a not a lot of people seem to be you seem to care or be worried. Um, You know, every time there's an app where you can upload your face and it turns you into a dog or whatever, but you're clearly just mining people's faces. People just upload their face. Don't seem to ask any questions.
1: Guthrie, you just plummeted down to a three.
0: Uh, No, no. (laughs) I don't don't think... I mean, I I think I'm still high because I don't think privacy is... Requirement to get past some of these problems, ah, like he does, okay. but but um, you are
1: not optimistic about privacy. I'm not either.
0: No, I'm I'm not particularly optimistic about privacy.
1: Well, on this well, positive note, guys. No, no,
0: let 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 him. Hey, did, he,
2: I did. Oh my god, words. Yeah. What one last thought? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the problem with the privacy is that it's um, it's possible to to create some rules to put controls in place but <clears throat> it's ultimately a significant political issue yeah in the sense that you know in order to do that it actually has to enter the realm of of, of laws and and that inherently would be political and the uh you know self-policing well won't, won't work and i think that's why there's no trust um, there are definitely groups of people that are shutting off social media, um, there are plenty of studies coming out that how depressing it can be and negative influence it is. So there'd be backlashes that start to happen just from um, people's perspective as millennials move through the workforce and have kids themselves. Um, are they still hunky-dory with it or will it be, um, something they start to avoid or they seek out alternatives that have stronger guarantees of privacy has there been alternatives a tec- to Facebook
0: has there been a technology in the past and I'm trying to think in like the far past that um was too far and people stopped using it because it was like oh this is we don't like what this is how this technology, what this technology is doing.
1: Hmm. Wow. That's an interesting question. Uh... Um, Well, I guess
2: it's tough to have comparative technologies because nothing existed like social media, but other products, um, and this is perhaps a stretch, but certainly like late 1800s, early 1900s, I believe, um, Cocaine was in products. Um, It wasn't illegal. And it took a while before it was viewed as enough of a problem that, you know, it it was outlawed. Um, Seen a special the other day. The German Army during World War II, at least the early days, made heavy use of methamphetamines for energy boosting. So, um, so, you know, I, I don't think technology like we think of computers had a parallel, but for their era, there there may have been technologies that were deemed too bad, and others that were deemed as bad, but ended up working out just fine. You know, the history of technology advancements in business always had promises of laying off workers, destroying jobs, and yet new jobs always were created to soak it up. Um, you know, farming implements, productivity improvements of farming the last hundred years are probably greater than any other industry.
1: Mm. Mm. We we don't I have, like that
2: question. Have, so so I, I, I don't know. But social media is certainly a very unique conundrum because it's a uh, it gets its hooks in people. It, it is, uh, I
0: mean I, I you, you know the ice box is no longer with us but that's only because it was replaced by the refrigerator. Right. And, right. the, and governments have certainly tried to regulate certain technologies with some success. That is true. You know, you can't go to your local store and buy a tank. Um, can't go down to Tanks R Us. Uh, you know, history with mm-hmm. drugs and, you know, meth, it's, it's a little mixed. I'm not sure exactly if we how, how, how successful or unsuccessful that was. Um, but yeah, I, cause that's, that's, you know, so far, once humanity has a technology and a tool that they like to use, it does seem to be that it's just full steam ahead until something better replaces it. Um, mm. so that's,
2: um, so I'll completely make up an example, um, yeah. of what might come, um, your recent studies in broadband industry, I'll leave it that generic, um, showed that what families and customers want in their home from their internet experience wasn't what broadband companies necessarily thought. You know, there definitely was a desire for more things to help control usage, help families talk about how much social media usage people were doing and, and control it. So, you know, we talk about AI, you know I could see there're starting to be um, social media is a problem, people can't hook it. This technology start to give answers of apps or smart apps to help manage how much people are doing, help to break habits, help to form uh, kind of positive behaviors. Right.
0: Well I like that. Its, it's, it's I'm glad we have someone who's an eight.
1: <laughs> and so that's why I wanted to have Steve on, because otherwise it's just you and me talking, and we keep pulling ourselves down. And then Steve will, Steve gives us this, you know this more optimistic perspective, which I need. Steve, if, um, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that?
2: Uh best way is uh, first by email. It is Steve.fieldgroup at outlook.com and I can be reached on my cell phone as well 314-941-6076 and on LinkedIn
1: okay great hey thanks for thanks for coming on and maybe we'll um, you know we'll check in with you like you know what six months from now and see if you're still at an eight
2: yes if anyone develops a Solution called Skynet, too. Give me a call.
1: (laughs) 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 All right. Thanks. Bye. Wonderful call. Thank you. Bye -bye. Bye bye.